You're listening to the God Stories Radio podcast. www.godstoriesradio.com. God Stories Radio, a podcast to heal your soul, bringing you hope and comfort through the power of Christian testimony. God Stories Radio, a podcast to heal your soul is coming up. Welcome, everyone, to God Stories Radio. This is Session 85. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. Man, oh, man, stuff's been going wild around here at God Stories Radio the last couple of weeks. It's really good to see you guys. How you yeah. been? Yes, it is. It's been a couple of weeks. I know it. It has. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to talk very much tonight because the testimony that, uh, that Trish is going to read tonight deserves as much time as we can devote to it and our undivided attention. But I will say this. You know, the Lord is seemingly moving in a different direction and has just opened the floodgates to people's hearts and they're writing in left and right with testimonies and praise reports and, you know, we're adding countries and we're growing and we haven't even been on the air as much as we normally are. Really? He told us to be still and and he's in control. It, It just seems like it's been every two weeks these last... To the last three testimonies that, know. that were sent in, it was two weeks when the first one came, then it was about two weeks when the next one, and then about two weeks now for this one. Um, so he's in control, and he's uh, just putting it on people's heart to send it in. And who knows, like you said, maybe there's a new direction, whatever, but we're still trying to it's be not still. not like the father to turn the corner and no. do a new thing, you know? No. Like I said, I think I said last time, too, that... Uh, uh, I think he's just doing this to keep us uh, with the interest at heart and everything else and just to keep the itch there before he opens the floodgates. Well, Mikey, speaking of floodgates, uh, talk to us about what you have over there. Uh, we got an um, uh, email sent in from Judith from Washington State, and she did prefer us to call her Judy. Hello, Judy. Thank you for listening. Hello, friend. We love you. And we appreciate you, and we're praying for you. Yes. Uh, she wrote, I don't listen to iHeartRadio, but a couple of weeks ago I saw the app on my iPad and decided to open it up. I typed in Christian, and your podcast was in the group that came up. I didn't click on yours first, but the quality of the ones I clicked on were so poor I moved on quickly. Then I came to yours. The sound was strong and was able to engage into the listening event easily. Thank you, Fritz. (laughs) So I stayed. I was affected and not like a sales pitch or an advertising campaign designed to affect me. It was a real person telling a real story about something worth sharing. God grabbed my heart and squeezed is the only way I can explain how he spoke to me. He didn't really speak to me, but he pointed give here. I don't think that he meant in cash alone. Over and over in the last year, I hear him tell me to speak. I have always assumed he means to speak to my mountains to overcome by claiming Jesus' name, by asking for what I needed, etc. I never thought he might mean something completely different. You see, I have a stammer. It has been getting worse. I don't want to speak because when I do, people get annoyed having to wait for me to finish a thought. Anyway, I hope the money helps. Your radio podcast is amazing. Thanks. 
This is the letter from Karen. It says, a very dear and wise friend, Suzanne Haddall, once said to me, when this is over, you'll be able to look back in six weeks and say, I made it. She had no idea at the time, nor did I, that these words would become sort of a line for me in the future, but God did. We retired from the military on September 1st, 2001. I'll spare you the entire story, but it's important nonetheless to know how far back this particular chapter began. We moved to Pennsylvania where my husband had a very hard time getting a job, but he did, and that led him to meet another individual, and that relationship got us moved to Florida, my home state. Things were finally going well. We had a lovely home. My husband was finally making a decent salary, and life just seemed to be moving along, finally. Then in 2007, things changed. My oldest sister... Lissa, who was born with Turner's syndrome and bore every single symptom that the disease offered, came to a hard place in her life. She was married to a man, Tony, that also has severe physical and mental challenges, but they took classes together and were able to live for many years on their own with some help from friends, relatives, and companions. In January 2007, Tony became ill. The doctors were at a loss for his sickness. Nothing they did mattered. They just couldn't stop his vomiting, and he got sicker and sicker. Then in April, he ended up on life support. Lissa was, of course, distraught. She rarely left his side and started getting ill herself. I had gotten a call from my cousin Debbie that was a nurse practitioner at the hospital, and she said, We need you here. Lissa needs you. I kept thinking in that four-hour drive from Fort Lauderdale to Claremont, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not in Pennsylvania and that I could be there in a short amount of time and help my sister. After a few weeks, the situation was obvious. Tony needed to be released from his failing body. He had coded so many times that we had lost count. My sister didn't understand any of it. To her, he was simply going to get up and go home with her. To help her get her mind off of all the things going on, I got the idea of visiting a small farm in Sumter County. I asked her to go with me, and she agreed. It wasn't until I got stopped by an officer that the magnitude of my sister's lack of understanding hit me. While we were out, Lissa became more and more distressed about being away from Tony, and so I was headed to the hospital to get her to calm down. I was driving 50 and a 35. I had no idea. The road was clear, and I was getting her back to the hospital. Once I realized I was speeding, it was too late. I saw my speed. I slowed down just as I saw the officer. I pulled over before he moved his car behind me. He came up to me, and he said, Ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? I said, Yeah, that's why I pulled over. And then he asked, What's your hurry? said, Well, my sister's husband's in the hospital on life support, and I was taking her to see him. He then stated, oh, I'm sorry. I do hope he'll be okay. Up until this point, we avoid speaking to Lissa about the possibility that Tony might not make it. And to keep from dropping into a full-blown crying fest, I simply looked up at him. Thank you, Lord. The officer understood. I quickly looked at Lissa and said to the officer, yeah, we're praying that he's going to be okay. And Lissa smiled and said, Yes, we are. The officer said, well, I'll pray for your husband as well. And he asked for his name. He then looked at me and said, 
take it easy on your way back to the hospital. Silly me, I asked, where's my ticket? And he said, there is none, just drive safe. Thank you again, Lord. Lissa always got this look about her when she was pondering something. She would get quiet and just think. Most of the time, she would never say what she was questioning. But this time she asked, Sissy, what is life support? I explained to her about the event and what it was doing for Tony. Suddenly she became very agitated and she said, you mean he's on a machine? I said, well, Lou, that's the nickname for her. She said, well, they better get that off of him. He'll be mad at me if he finds out that I let them put him on that. Up until this point, the doctors had tried to help her understand that their efforts to save Tony were not going anywhere. But because Lissa was at a nine-year-old level of thinking, she did not understand. I immediately contacted my cousin Debbie and told her what had happened, and she had arranged for a meeting with doctors to discontinue life support for Tony. The meeting went well. Lissa was now in charge. She told the doctors that they were to remove the machine, and after a few minutes of talking to her, they realized that she did in fact understand what she was saying. Tony was moved to rehab in Claremont, and on Wednesday, July 25th, 2007, he went to be with the Lord. Life moved on. Lissa joined the widow's group at church. She had many friends that kept her busy on her days off from work at Publix, the supermarket. Lissa didn't speak much of Tony after that. She would occasionally say in our casual conversations over husband troubles, I hated it when he would do that. She never really would say his name. She just called him he, and we all knew who she was speaking of. Fast forward a few years later, life had been amazing. My husband, Jim, or Bubba as we call him, had finally gotten a great job and could actually afford to live a little, put some money into savings. We were able to get our son, Zach, into a good high school with an excellent band program which led him to being accepted at Florida Atlantic University as a music major. It was great. I mean, really great. Then at the end of 2012, the great life came to a screeching halt. I mean, slammed in the wall halt. A week before Christmas, the powers that be at my husband's work called everyone into the conference room and said, go home, we're closing the doors for good. When my husband came home and told us this, I immediately gave one of my God knows best speeches. God will make sure we're okay. You know, the big faith speech. Seven months later, my husband was still unable to find work other than a couple of temp jobs. He had a lot of interviews, but not one ended in a position. I was applying for work as well, and I didn't get a single call back for an interview. We lost everything. Things got so bad that we ended up packing half of our belongings and donating and tossing the other half. We couldn't afford to rent a big truck to hold all of our stuff. Now, please understand, we're not fancy worldly folks. I didn't own 20 pairs of shoes. We were band parents. If you know anything about that, you understand it it costs a lot. Not just in money, but in time. I never had time to go buy shoes, much less collect them. As a matter of fact, my purse for four years was a fanny pack. Being a band mom was too much to keep up with a saddlebag. Things were bad. I mean, really bad. 
The only thing keeping our noses out of the water was my husband's retirement check from the Air Force. I was on the phone one day speaking to my childhood friend Lisa. We had been talking about the lady she works for and the fact that the lady's brother had passed away in December. I just got the notion to ask her, do you think she might let us borrow his house for a couple of months until we can get back on our feet? Two months later, we were back in my hometown. I can tell you every fiber in my body rebelled against it. I never wanted to move back home, ever. But here I sat in a home that was so small that we couldn't stand in the kitchen all at once. But we kept reminding ourselves that God won't let this last. He will get us back on our feet in no time and life will be back to green grass and calm still waters. My husband did get a job in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but the salary was so small that we couldn't afford to stay there. So he was living with one of our good friends for six months and my son Zach and I were four hours away living in a less than desirable shack loaded with spiders the size of Texas and once even a snake in the bathroom. But my sister Lissa was ecstatic about our move. We were now only four minutes from her, not four hours, and she was so happy. She could see Zach, her monkey man, whenever she wanted to. Six months passed, and we're still there. I had not been able to get a job, my husband still working in Fort Lauderdale and coming to see us every other weekend. But Zach was able to get a job at Publix, the grocery store where the Lou worked. That made her the happiest aunt on the planet. And she let everyone know he was hers. I must confess, I was running short on faith. I mean, the mustard seed was shrinking down to something smaller than a grain of salt. Then I met Angie. She was helping us look for another place to live. And just happened to have a sister-in-law that worked in Sumter County, Florida. They had a position open and needed someone soon. My husband fit the bill. He drove up, interviewed, and got the job starting in January 2013. So the small home just got smaller. Now there were three of us living in the shack. Then in April of 2013, our oldest son was medically retired from the Air Force. And then the house shrank just a little more when he came to stay with us for a week or so. Zach was unhappy. He had lost his place at FAU. He couldn't see his friends. He was working at a job that he liked, but he wasn't exactly enjoying it. We were really stuck in between that rock and a hard place. Things were not getting worse, but we really couldn't see them getting better either. My sister was still as happy as a little clam. She now had both of her monkey men to see. She would call them just to chat. And by the way, my boys... They don't like chatting on the phone, but for Aunt Fifi, as they called her, they would stop whatever they were doing for a phone visit. Lissa didn't drive, but she wanted to. She decided that it was time to learn how to drive and then buy a car. Every hair on my head stood up. I was not happy with that. I couldn't make her understand how dangerous it really was. She only saw things forward. If you happened to be in her way, well... She might nip your ankles with a shopping cart if you were ahead of her in line where she was headed. Driving was out of the question, and to my horror, I nearly lost it when she called and said one of her counselors had gotten her signed up for driving lessons. Nothing any of us could say would change her mind. 
So in the latter half of 2014, my 51-year-old sister was taking driving lessons. Half of me was happy for her. The other half was just scared that she would succeed. And then what? She got to where she could call me more and more, sometimes five to seven times a day. It was getting to the point of being a nuisance. She would call at two in the afternoon and ask me to drive her here and there. Most of the time, it was just that she was bored. But I was the dutiful sister. I would remind myself that she needed me. She was alone. She didn't have the privileges that I did. I had myself convinced that it was my job to take care of her. But the anger was building. Lord, why is all this happening? I trusted you to get us out of this mess. Here we are, still in the shack. My sister is bugging the tar out of me. And then I would half thank him for what he had done for us and move on. Judy prayers prayed. Oh, yes. And once again, I asked for forgiveness for getting upset with my sister. It was August of 2014. My daughter was about to get married. One day she called and said, Mom, I really want Aunt Fifi to come to the wedding. What do you think? Well, my sister was really a homebody. She didn't like, she didn't like to stray far from home and from her cat, Tony. That's Tony with an I, as she always stressed that part. He needed her, and she was a good mama to that cat. She was able to go stay with her friend Janice overnight once in a while, but she was always ready to come home, usually around noon the next day. She would call and say, Sissy, I'm packed and ready to go home. I would stop what I was doing and go get her. All the way home, she would be speaking out loud, Boo, Mama's on her way home. Be there in a minute. All the way to Georgia for three days for a wedding? I wasn't sure this was going to work, taking her, but, but it happened that I did need to go up the week before the wedding for an overnight trip, and we decided that we would give Aunt Fifi a try and see how she would do. I was correct in my assumption. By noon the next day, she was nearly in a state of panic that Boo had been alone too long. She needed to get home, so she and I discussed the wedding on the way home. I really wanted to say... Lou, it's not going to work. You can't go with us next week to the wedding. You'll make us crazy within the first 24 hours of getting there. But she perked up and said, Sissy, I'm so glad I got to go to Renee's wedding. Huh? She thought that this was why we were there the whole time. She was happy. She believed that this was the wedding. Thank you, Lord, that this time she really doesn't understand. Lou knew that we were going back of the following week, and she was happy to say, You have a good time. I don't want to go back this time. It was getting close to Thanksgiving. Lou loved it. She loved to eat. The year before, as you know, we were already here, and she wanted so badly to spend the day with her BFF Janice and not with us. We were okay with it. She hated the fact that Janice was alone on the holidays and most of the time because none of us were here. She was too. So in our endeavors to help her be even more independent and to understand that she really could make decisions on her own, we praised her for wanting to be with Janice and not with us. But it was around this time every year that Lissa would grow very weary. Tony loved, I mean dearly loved Christmas. He had more decorations than most of us have in a lifetime. He would decorate the house, the yard, I think even his bicycle. 
Then Tony passed away. Lissa refused to decorate after that. Oh, she enjoyed the festivals and looked forward to singing in the church cantatas, but at home, it was void of anything resembling that day. I decided to have a little chat with her. I wanted to know why she refused to decorate. She, she quite sternly said, because he liked it. We talked a little longer, and it finally dawned on me. It was too painful for her. Everything about it reminded her that he was no longer with her. And frankly, it was too much for her to bear. At the end of the conversation, I was able to get her to understand that having Christmas wasn't a bad thing. But we would look at it as a celebration that he loved so much. And this was a way of remembering him. She agreed, and off we went shopping. She had to have new everything. A new tree, new lights, the works. We all chipped in and helped her decorate. She was so excited that my husband, her bubba, helped put the lights on the tree and that her monkey man helped her put on the ornaments. So here it was Thanksgiving. She spent the entire day with Janice. Her house was decorated and she seemed genuinely happy. One day while I was over with her, she got this strange look on her face. She went to her room and dug out a picture of Tony. She said, Sissy, take a picture of us with Christmas. I said, Lou, I don't have my camera with me. I remembered I had my cell phone, and I asked if it was okay if I took the pictures with my cell phone, and she smiled and said, yes. So she went to each decorated section of her home. She held Tony's picture, and she smiled while I snapped the shots. Oh, and I was thinking about how sorry I was that here I am now a photographer, professional photographer, and don't even have a real camera to take pictures of my sissy. Of my sissy. Not good, Karen, not good. After that day, we all began to notice that she finally seemed free to speak of Tony. I was so proud of her. She made a breakthrough, and I was so happy that she had had this invisible load taken off of her. She even began to carry Tony's picture with her wherever she went. Wow, what a change. A good change. Just after Thanksgiving, Lissa began to suffer from stomach issues. She would call and say, Sissy, I was up all night again, throwing up. After a few days of this, I insisted that she be seen by her doctor. They said that her diet was playing a huge role in it and put her on more restrictive diet along with more medications. Yeah, it makes sense. Remember, she loves to eat, and it was the holidays. But as the days progressed, the matter didn't resolve with the medications or the diet change. Shortly into December, the former nurse in me took over. I made her go to the hospital to be seen. I had these visions of Tony all over again. It really did seem like she was headed in that same direction. So after getting checked, the hospital recommended that she be seen by another specialist for her problems. In January, she went to be seen for the still unresolved issue, but it was getting much better. Her nights of vomiting were almost gone. She called me after her visit at the clinic around five and said, Sissy, I hope you feel better now. I was seen, and they said I was just fine. Well, I guess she told me, wink, wink. I was not happy with her report, but she was perfectly satisfied with it, and I simply said, okay, Lou, good. But in my mind, 
Some heads were going to roll the next day. Something was causing the attacks, and I wanted to know what. It was a very tiring day. I can remember what happened four years ago as if I had just lived it, but I can't remember why I was so exhausted that day. It was 8 o'clock p.m. I was already in my jammies and ready to go to bed. I even let Zach take my car to work that day. I had no plans to leave the house. Here, take my keys. I'm tired. Go to work. The phone rang. It was late, and I knew it was the Lou. She had her own ring on my phone. Ugh, I'm tired. What now? Hey, Lou, what's up? She said, Sissy, how do you know if you're having a heart attack? Nurse is awake now. I questioned her, and she didn't answer what I expected to hear. Okay, I don't think she's having a heart attack, but we'll go over and check on her anyway. My husband and I jumped into our little two-seater truck and drove the four-minute drive in two minutes. When we got to her house, she was waiting at the door. Her lips were a little blue, and I knew she needed to go to the hospital by ambulance. This was when the issue arrived. When Tony got sick, I was in Fort Lauderdale, and the only way Lissa had to get to the hospital was by ambulance, and she would not even look at an ambulance after that. To her, they were bad. Hospitals were bad. Everything Tony went through was now bad. Trying to be cheery, sister, and not worry her, I said, Lou, I don't think you're having a heart attack, but I sure would feel better if you went to the hospital and got checked out. And she agreed. She was in a lot of pain. I said, well, we have a problem. Zach has my car, and all we have is the little truck. One of us will have to sit in the back. She said, okay, I will. My husband and I both said, no, it's too dangerous. I said, Lou, we only have one option. We need to call an ambulance. She was instantly afraid, like a child that just saw the monster under their bed afraid. She said, I'll go if Bubba goes with me. Now you have to understand my husband, he's just as bad about going to the hospital, even to see me when I work there. I said, how about if I drive right behind you? She agreed, the final statement, as long as I can see you. I think the entire fire department showed up that night. To help lighten the mood, I said, Lou, you'll get every nice looking fireman on duty. She smiled and said, yep. But it was about then that the real story began to unfold. Even with us joking around her, she was still terrified. Then in walked Brandy, and Lissa's face changed. It was relief. Brandy said, Melissa, what are you doing? Are you trying to make me work? It was then that I learned that she worked with Lou at Publix for eight years. So they chatted up for a minute or two, and Brandy said, can I take you to get checked out? Lissa rather happily said, sure. I could hear the two of them laughing in the back all the way to the hospital. Oh, thank you, Lord. So off we go. We get to the ER in no time, and there's a physician's assistant that walks in the room. He only spoke to Lissa for what seemed like seconds. Then he excused himself. Moments later, a doctor walked in. He talks to us quickly and said, I need to run some tests and get an x-ray, okay? Uh, sure. I think the x-ray techs were already at the door, and they asked me to wait outside. I quickly went to the waiting room to let my husband know what was going on. So far, which wasn't really 
anything, it seemed. When I got to Lissa's room, the x-ray techs were leaving. In all the hustle and bustle, Lissa began getting sick to her stomach, and then the vomiting began. The doctor came back to the room and said, I'm sorry, this is not looking good. She must be flown to Orlando immediately. He saw that Lissa was vomiting and said, we'll get her there with the help, but you've got to remain calm. Okay, toss nursing school out the door. What are you talking about? Sorry, the vomiting has got her to where she needs to be flown to Orlando? He said, your sister has a dissecting aortic aneurysm, and we need to fly her to Orlando now. She needs to have surgery. It was at this point, I think, that I became literally quite stupid. All of the years of working as a cardiac nurse were tossed out the door, and I was no wiser than the next guy on the street. What was he really saying? Lissa only heard fly, nothing more, and she said, Sissy, I ain't going to fly. I looked at the doctor and I said, she's not going to go. You have no idea what it took to get her to come here by ambulance. The doctor said, well, let's get her blood pressure stable and then we'll transport her by ambulance. The doctor walked out of the room just as two paramedics were coming in with another patient. I heard him say, hey guys, I have a patient that needs to go to Orlando. Can you take her? And their response was, sure, we're headed back that way anyway. It was only a couple minutes later that they walked into the room and Lissa, once again, had a complete face change. She looked at one of the guys and said, well, hey, John. And his response was, Melissa, what's my favorite bagger doing in here? You trying to make me work? And she giggled and said, yep. She looked at me and said, sissy, this is John. He's my favorite customer at Publix. The trip to Orlando was totally uneventful. Lissa giggled and laughed all the way there with John. While I learned on the trip over to Orlando, John and his partner were working in Orlando and their patient insisted on going to that hospital. Thank you, Lord, for Brandy and John and for the patient that insisted on going to the Claremont Hospital. We made it to Orlando where Lissa was admitted to CCICU. I think it was about then that the magnitude of all this was beginning to sink in. CCICU? This is not good. A short time later, two cardiac doctors came in and introduced themselves, checked Lissa over and said, You should go home. We'll be here all night with her. Go home. What time is it? It's 4 a.m. Oh dear, where's my husband? I went out to the waiting room where he was sitting and I told him what was going on so far. I asked, do you think we really should be going home? He said, we'll stay here as long as it takes. It's the loo. If she needs us, we won't leave. I went back to her room, somewhat relieved. My dear husband had no intentions of going home. I told Lissa what he said and she looked at me and said, sissy, you need to go home and check on the boys and make sure you tell them I'm all right. In her sweet little mind, my boys, her monkey men, were not grown adults. They were her babies. So after some coaxing from her, the nurse and the doctors, we headed out for home. As I started to leave, one of the doctors stopped me and said, We ask that you do not sign a DNR, DNI. 
I do not resuscitate her. I know. I looked puzzled. You just told me to go home. Do you think this could happen? That you might need to have one of these on file? He said, no, but we'd like to have the opportunity to try and save her if something does happen. Okay, it's late. I I can't think anymore. Do what you need to do. Around 7 a.m., I woke up from dozing off for just a few minutes. I called my cousin Rick, who's also a nurse. I explained to Rick what was going on. I told him, this is all bouncing off my head. I have no idea what they're saying. I need a head that can process this. He said, I'll meet you over at the hospital. We had breakfast, down some coffee, and took off for the hospital. When we got there, Lissa had been moved to another room, and Rick was talking to her. I should mention that she was still in a chair. She had refused the night before to get into the hospital bed. She said, nope, that is where he was. Again, this was a wee bit too familiar for her with Tony. The nurse came in and was a little too stern with Lissa. As she began, technically explaining her condition to her, Rick and I sat and listened as she rambled on about the importance of being in the bed and resting. I never liked using the word retarded or slow when talking about my sister, especially in front of her. I never wanted her to think she was any different than the rest of us, to a certain extent. But sometimes we had to be older than she was for her own safety. And we had to step in when we needed to, like with the driving issue. This nurse kept on and on. And Lissa was looking at her like she had grown a third eye. In mine and Rick's attempts to get her to stop and hear what we were saying, I finally spoke up and basically shouted, She is nine years old! Get it? Understand now? I was appalled that I had actually let that slip out of my mouth in front of Lissa. How dare I lower my sister to that level? But who did she think she was, acting as if she was the only medical person on the planet? I was embarrassed and hurt that I let my sister know that I really thought she was a child. The nurse had realized exactly what she had been saying and quietly left the room, never to be seen again, I might add. As I sat in the horrifying realization of what I did to my sister, Lissa chimes in and says, I'm glad she's gone. I thought she'd never shut up. Okay, Rick and I laughed. She really was nine, and all she knew was that we made that nurse shut up and leave her alone. A real lifelong fear that I had carried was never make my sister feel inferior, and that was swept right out the door. Lissa never thought like that. She was just Lissa. I need to let you know Rick is more of a brother than a cousin. We didn't have any brothers, but we were so close to my dad's sister, Aunt Charlotte, that she was more of a mother to us, and her five boys, they were like brothers. Lissa loved Ricky, as she always called him, and she responded to whatever he asked her to do. He said, Lissa, don't you think you might be able to rest better if you were in that bed? She looked at him and said, do you think I need to be in bed? And he said, I think it's best. That was it. We had begged her for hours to get into the bed, and she would just say, no. Rick, however, was all it took. After she got in bed, she snuggled up, and she looked at the both of us and said, 
Um, I need some rest. Can you leave now? Wow. Okay. We laughed and stepped out of the room. Thank you, Lord, for Rick. Shortly after that, a group of doctors came in to see her, and I told the doctors that they needed to speak to Rick on the technical part of the visit. It was still bouncing off my head. I was thanking God that I had him there to be my guide. They spoke quite frankly, told us that the tear for a simple explanation was not as bad as it could have been or as bad as they originally thought, that she was not going to have to have surgery, and as soon as they got her more stable, they wanted to send her to rehab, to a rehab center, to get stronger. But a final note from them was, a catastrophic event can still happen. Rick said, Doc, she should not be sitting there coloring in her book in the first place. These things always end up with the patient on a vent. Did you see her? The doctor said yes. We're hopeful, but just keep in mind she could still have a problem with this someday. So in the next 10 days, Lissa was moved to a rehab center in Claremont. Yeah, the same one Tony was in. My husband and I had to take Monday and go to fill out tons of paperwork set her goals for home, and be informed that they felt she should not live alone anymore. Oh boy, with all this worry about a possible catastrophic event, and now we have to tell her that she can't live alone anymore? Can you say, ugh? How am I supposed to keep her calm at all times and make sure she still lives her life at the same time? I spent my entire life working with my sister, not daily, but even when we were out doing our own life with the military, Lissa still needed some help with things. We have another sister, but her life is in another state with her family. I was here. It was on me to be there for Lissa. Yes, I was exhausted, both mentally and physically, but Lissa didn't have what I did. I really felt like I was responsible for making sure she was taken care of. When we got home, I told the boys that Aunt Fifi was not going to be able to live alone anymore, half expecting them to say, oh joy. But to my surprise, they said, we've been looking for a place where she can come move in with us. Again, uh, okay, wow, really? You've been looking... She was beginning to get a little agitated now that she was getting to feeling a little better. I was worried about her boo, Tony. So we had a couple of hours adventure. I took her home to see Tony, and while we were there, she noticed he was about out of food. She asked if we could stop by the store to get him some, and I said, yeah. Then as we were leaving, she asked if she could just go see Janice for a minute. I wasn't jovial about it, but it's the Lou. She's been in the hospital for days. Why not? She had a wonderful visit with Janice, and then we were off to the store for cat food. She gathered everything that she wanted him to have, and as we started to leave the store, many of her coworkers began coming up and hugging her, telling her how much they missed her and well wishes to get home soon. She nearly knocked over her manager, Janice, when she gave her a big hug and a kiss. As we were headed back to the rehab center, I had given her the news that she would be moving in with us after she got out. I nearly fell over when she said, yay. She said, sissy, my heart is so full of joy right now. I am so happy. Wow, another fear. 
again swept out the door. Thank you again, Lord. On Sunday, our other sister had come into town, and we were splitting the days, spending time with the Lou. Sunday was crazy. We were all there with her. She was in a happier mood than she was in on Saturday. As a matter of fact, I noticed she seemed a little too happy. She was like a little kid that was going to Disney for the first time. She was talking a hundred miles an hour. She was being silly, but something didn't seem quite right about it. I spoke to the nurse, several of them, and was assured that they would let the doctor know. They said that it could be the new meds that were causing the completely blissful, yet not the loo happiness. Back to Monday. I had decided to take Tuesday off from the daily drive. Everything we owned was dirty. The kitchen was a mess. We were all a mess from working all day and spending time with the loo. None of us had the energy to do anything. Plus, a realtor had called and set up an appointment for us to see a house that day at 3. Things were sure looking better. That morning, the loo called me, and she was not herself. She was saying strange things, and so I decided I better go check her out. When I got there, she was even happier than the prior days. She saw me and yelled, Sissy, and nearly knocked me over with a big hug and a kiss. Okay, Lou, you you okay? She said, yes, Sissy, I'm fine. I'm just happy. Well, here the overactive sister strikes again. She's, I need to chill. It was Tuesday, the day that her church came to lead worship for the patients in the rehab center. The Lou was particularly happy that it was her Sunday school's class and she wanted to lead and if she could go up for leading. The nurses said, sure, but you have to go by wheelchair. So I wheeled her up and her classmates saw her sitting out there with the group. And that's when Miss Jean came and said, girl, you're not sitting there. You're going to help. Lissa was thrilled. They wheeled her up to the front and the singing began. When the service was done, Lissa was beaming and telling all of the nurses what a great job Uncle Charles had done leading the service and was explaining to them what it was all about. I decided that, yes, she was just happy. And I told her I was going home. She said, yeah, you're not supposed to be here anyway. I thought I told you to stay home and take care of Bubba's clothes. I laughed, but then she said something strange as I was about to leave. Sissy, the devil ain't gonna win. Back to the nurse's station I go. Look, I know my sister. This is not her. She doesn't act this way. She's a happy person, but not this happy. Her nurse wrote a note and said, Go home. I promise I'll call the doctor and let him know that you're concerned. It was nearly three and I had made it about four or five blocks from the center when I got a call from the realtor saying that she had run into an emergency and that she needed to reschedule showing us the house for the end of the week. While I was still with her, my call waiting went off. It was the rehab center. The voice on the other end said, I hate to tell you this, but all your sister's paperwork has vanished. Excuse me? The paperwork that I spent hours working on yesterday? She said, yes, I'm sorry, but it has to be done again, now. (sighs) Hang a Yui and back to the center. This time, rather than sit in the conference room, we had to sit at a table in the lose room, and we did all the paperwork again. 
I was on the verge of screaming about how incompetent they were. After another couple of hours, we finally got finished, and they had already brought the Lou's supper in for her to eat. I gave the Lou a hug and said, Okay, tomorrow I'm taking off to wash my clothes and other guilt-ridden excuses. I just didn't want to come over. I was tired. But on my way out, she looked at me and said, Hey, sissy, the devil ain't gonna win. Yes, I know, Lou. I love you. I made it home, and I'm not sure if I cooked supper or if we ate out. But at eight, I was ready for bed. I mean, really ready for bed. My husband's job calls a lot after hours, and at nine, when his phone rang, I sighed. Well, so much for an early bed tonight. I hear. Here she is. And he handed me the phone. Huh? I hear a voice on the other end. Miss Karen... Your sister was on the phone talking to Janice, and then she just passed out and hit her head. I was shocked and said, okay. Then she said some other things, and I remember thinking, this doesn't sound right. What is she saying? Coding her? Ambulance is is taking her to the hospital? CPR? What are you saying? I said to the nurse, let me get this straight. Lissa is being coded right now? She said, yes, ma'am. The paramedics are here now doing CPR, and you need to meet them at the hospital. I'm not sure what happened after that. I saw my guys staring at me. They all knew what code meant. After all, they had heard it many times from me after work. I think one of them drug me out to the car. I just remember calling my friend Lisa and telling her, Then I was at the hospital. My oldest walked me in, and they ushered us to a private room. My aunt and uncle came in, too. Why was everyone here? Why were they all staring at me? Then my friend Lisa walked in and put her arms around me. The doctor and nurse came in. I knew why. I just knew what they were about to say. And before they could speak, I asked, Did the dissection rupture? And they said, yes. And I asked, are you still doing CPR? And they said, yes. I said, stop. Stop it right now. It's done. They said, ma'am, we coded her for over 30 minutes. Nurse Karen woke up. I said, you and I both know it's over. Just stop. Stop it now. The doctor said, we're very sorry. I remember thinking, so this is how it feels. The other end of the, I'm sorry. It isn't real, though. They're not talking about the Lou. This is someone else, not my sister. But it was true. I remember asking Uncle Charles, is this all really happening? And he said, Honey, it's all really happening. All I could think about was, how, Lord? How am I supposed to live now? What am I supposed to do? We had plans. She was going to live with us. We were going to take care of her. What now? I called Publix to let Zach know that we were all at the hospital and they sent him straight over. I was in shock. I think we all were. 
they had asked if we would wait so they could get her ready for us to go see her. I couldn't. I just couldn't make myself go in there. I knew what happened. I had been there many times. I had been the one to tell the family to wait and let us get their loved one ready. I just couldn't do it. But Zach said, I will. And he wanted to go alone. He came out, he punched the wall, and he fell into Aunt Charlotte's arms. I'm grateful to him. He was a lot stronger than his mom that night. I had to do something. I had to be busy. Phone calls. I needed to make phone calls. The first person I called was her boss, Janice. She answered the phone. Miss Karen, I said. Janice, Lisa didn't make it. She said, I know, baby. I knew as soon as I heard the phone ring this late that it was you. This late? What time is it? It's 11.30 p.m.? What? How? It was just 9 o'clock. How did it get to be 11.30 so fast? Jim, my husband, ushered me into the car. What do you want to do? I said, her stuff. I want to get her stuff. He said, it's late. Don't you want to do this another time? I said, no, I want to do it now. I just needed to touch something that was hers. It was all I had left. I needed to do it right then. We drove to the rehab center. It was late, but all the day staff was there. I mean, all of them. They were standing around the nurse's station. As soon as we walked in, they gathered and asked, how is she? I could hardly speak. Nothing could come out. Tears. That was it. Just tears. Then they all began crying. One said, she was only here a short time, but that girl got to my heart. I feel like I lost my own sister. And one by one, they all reached out to hug us and tell us how sorry they were. The nurse manager said, I have to tell you something. After you left this evening, we brought her up to eat her supper so she wouldn't have to eat alone. And your sister, she could pray. I never heard anyone pray like that. She prayed for each one of us, called you out by name, and then started praying for each of us. She even called us all by our names in her prayers. She said, I have never heard anyone pray for me like that. Ah, that Lou and her prayers. Indeed, she could pray. Zach and I took her to lunch one day at McDonald's. The place was packed. We sat down with our food and the Lou began to pray. Not loud, just praying. The entire place came to a dead stop. Not one person moved. Not a sound was to be heard with the exception of some fryer alarms going off. And even the staff didn't move to turn them off. They were frozen in time while the loo prayed. Zach and I were looking around in total amazement. There are 50 people in there and no one spoke. As soon as she said, Amen, the place was right back to the loud chatters and fryers and alarms going off and being taken care of. I could hardly eat after that. I'd never seen such a sight. Yes, the loo could pray. I was up all night. All of us were. We had to go to the nursing home to tell my parents. So much to do. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. 
After telling my parents, we got a call from the funeral home to come over to make the arrangements. While we were sitting there, my phone rang. Jim took the call. I couldn't talk to anyone, not now. As Jim was walking out of the room to speak to the caller, I heard him say, We're here now. They exchanged a few words, and then he said, Don't do anything. Don't make any arrangements right now. We have to go to see this lady. I was like, I was a little aggravated. I don't want to go see anyone. I wanted to get this over with. But he insisted. I told the funeral home folks, we'll be right back. He grabbed my arm and took me out to the car. Once we got in the car, he told me who was on the phone. It was Lissa's job coach. He said, you need to call her now. Okay, fine. I called her and she asked, did you make the arrangements yet? I said, no, Jim said you wanted to see us first. She said, yes. And then she proceeded to explain that she had just taken a class on Monday and it was just for this type of occasion. We can help you. What? Really? To make this part short, everything was taken care of. We only had to sign a few pieces of paper and it was done. All I needed to do was go and get a sign-in book for the funeral. Thank you, Lord. We went to Hobby Lobby in search of a book. I couldn't find a thing. I was exhausted and I just wanted to be anywhere but in this situation. I decided we didn't need a book. And as I started to leave, one of the ladies that worked there said, didn't you find what you were looking for? I said, no. She said, well, let me help you. I told her what I needed and she said, oh, they're right over there. She picked up one of the books and handed it to me and said, here, this is what you need. I thanked her and I walked over to the register to pay. As I opened my wallet, there was a $10 bill. It was the lose. She had it in her desk at the rehab center. The bill for the book was $10. All I could think of was she even paid for her own sign-in book. The day came for the funeral. I called my friend Edith in Fort Lauderdale. She had been going through a rough time with her mom, and her mom passed away a few hours before the loo. I called to tell her that I was thinking about her, and she said the same to me. She said, friend, the Lord will get us through this day. Both funerals were on Saturday at 1130. I met Edith, Kim, and Beth when all of our kids were in band together. We were the power mom team, the get it done team. We had become great friends over the years. Kim had never met the Lou, but she always talked to her on December 19th. They shared a birthday. The Lou was always excited to talk to Kim, her birthday sister. They would chat about having a big piece of chocolate cake at the Cracker Barrels celebrate their birthday, and they would wish each other a good day. On the way to the church, I had gotten this horrible thought. What if no one comes? What if there's only a couple of people there? I've always believed that you can tell how well a person lived by the amount of people that showed up at their funerals. The Lou was loved, but she wasn't well known. What if there were only 10 people there? 
Jim said, it doesn't matter how many people show up. The loot was loved and we'll be there. When we got close to the church, there were cars lined down the street. I began looking around, wondering, was there something going on in town to draw so many people on a Saturday? It wasn't unusual. There's always a car wash, a fundraiser yard sale. But when it hit me was when we drove into the church and couldn't find a place to park. No spot left? Huh? This can't be. The funeral isn't for another hour. I walked into the church to set up the memorial table. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was packed. There at the front were many of Lissa's friends, which were in her same council group. There was rows and rows of public's employees, all dressed in their uniforms. There were rows of family and rows of people I didn't know. They started coming up to us, telling us who they were. I heard, she was the best bagger. I knew her for 18 years at Publix. She was a great bagger. I was stunned. I finished the table set up, and I needed a quick breather. There were so many people. They all started to talk. I couldn't speak. As I started to walk out the door, I saw Kim. I thought, oh, there's Kim. Wait, what? Kim? I was in total shock. Kim, are, are you really here? Yes. Yep, I'm here. I had to come to see my birthday sister off. But Kim, it's a four-hour drive. She said, I can't tell you how much that meant to me. I know I didn't speak, speak much that day. So many people with so many great stories about the loo. We laughed through the service. That was the one thing that I told the pastor. She was not a sad person. We can't send her off in a sad way. And he made it so. I heard people saying that they had never been to a service like that. They never expected to laugh, but they did. Good. The loo finished well. This is all that mattered. And the food? I think Publix sent half the store. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for Publix. When I was really able to sit back and reflect on this whole chapter, our moves, one state to another, and then I really began to see how God lined things up. We hear often, God is in control. We thank him when we realize that this prayer was answered or that was taken care of. But in this situation, the magnitude, the timeline, all of it, just what was involved in getting me, us, through just this life-changing time, it still seems like it just might not be real. Even after eight months, even after sitting here at the computer, typing this entire story, it's literally amazing and almost unbelievable. God really is in control. He was preparing me for this. Not the loo. She was secure. She knew where she was and where she was going. I remember the day she went to the theaters and saw Heaven is for Real. She asked me and was beaming over the movie. She said, Sissy, I have to tell you, I was worried about Tony and if he went to heaven. But after seeing the movie, I know it's real. I know it's real now. 
and he's there. He's waiting for me when I go home. Sissy, that movie made me real happy. She was prepared. She knew where home was, and she knew where she was headed in that direction. You see, I learned that the Lou, Lissa, Melissa, Aunt Fifi did not need us. We needed her. She was the rock. She was ready. We just needed to get ready for her to go home. We needed the time we got with her. The monkey men needed to have fond memories of Aunt Fifi. And Renee needed to know Aunt Fifi believed that she was at the wedding. We needed our time with her. And without the loss of everything, we would have missed it. She touched lives everywhere she went. She was God's own girl. So what can you take out of this story? Even if it's only taking two driving lessons just to drive. Make your first Thanksgiving turkey. Buy a new TV and a new bed. It doesn't matter. And please, don't do it because you could die tomorrow. Do it so that you can say you have lived today. And those of us left here, we know that you have lived well. Today, I am thankful that the Lou took her driving lessons, had her bright red convertible picked out to buy, and that she bought a new bed that she only had for a few weeks and cooked her first turkey that past Thanksgiving. And the TV she had bought only days before she went home to be with the Lord. It doesn't matter when and why we do things. Trust God and live. The Lou did. Hey, Lou. You were right. The devil didn't win. You're home. You're back with Tony. God knew. And I know now as well. You missed him too much to stay. It's okay. We're okay. We miss you, though. Love you, sissy. Karen. Wow. Good job, Trish. Really? Thank you. Good job. Excellent job. Wow. I can only summarize that by the fact that uh, I spoke to Austin this morning, the one that sent in the testimony that I read, and we were reminded of the story of Jesus, and everybody knows the story of the, the guy that was stricken with blindness, and Jesus and the disciples were just walking along the road, and this guy was calling out to Jesus. The disciples were just like, you know, don't bother the master. And it says that Jesus stopped in his tracks and he healed this man. He reminded them that he there wasn't anything he did to deserve the blindness. The blindness was so that Jesus would get the glory in that moment. Right, but it also shows that he stopped. He cared. Right. Even for him. And I guess I said all that to say that the moral of this testimony is the bigger picture. They needed her. Mm-hmm. And all the time they thought she needed them. Them. Right. And I have goosebumps the size of oranges <laughs> right now. I can't uh, stop crying. <laughs> Sorry. Karen, thank you so much. Thank Suzanne you, Karen. Lynn, thank you. We love you. 
I'm going to have to listen back to this one myself several times. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. If you well, guys, have a oh, testimony, yeah. send it in. Send it in. GodStoriesRadio yes. at Gmail. If you have any questions about this one, send in your questions and we'll get them to Karen. If you just need some encouragement, send that in too. We're, we're not scared to pray for you. All right. And please join us in prayer for, again, uh, God Stories Radio for a home. We do believe we need a home. Waiting for God to open up that floodgate. Amen. We love you, and we're here to encourage you, and it's, uh, it's been our agenda from day one. And the fact that we're at session 85 just, just <laughs> he, amazes me. Right. And he, he keeps bringing he them, keeps even, bringing even though he told us to be still. Yes. Amen. So that was about an hour and 15 minutes, guys. Mm -hmm. Wow. Good job, Trish. I I don't know that I could have read it with a straight face. It was me and Mikey were over here swapping tissues. But thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you for praying for us. To all 51 countries that are listening, thank you for loving us and praying for us. That about wraps it up for Session 85. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. God bless. God bless. He said I was in my early forties With a lot of life before me When a moment came that stopped me on a dime I spent most of the next days Looking at the x-rays Talking about the options And talking about sweet time I asked him when it sank in this might really be the real end How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? And he said I went skydiving I went Rocky Mountain climbing I went 2.7 seconds On a bull named Blue Mansion And I looked deeper And I spoke sweeter And I gave forgiveness I've been denying And he said someday Yeah.
Yeah.